going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, my friends. A very happy Monday. Looking forward to uh, seeing what this week has in store on the provincial election front. What might the topic du jour be? Well, we're going to try to do things a little differently starting off with today's show. We last week we decided to reach out to all the leaders. I shouldn't say all because there, as we mentioned back on Thursday or Friday, there's just a couple of parties. But the the four parties that were and the leaders that were involved in the leadership debate last week: Stephen Mandel, David Kahn, Jason Kenney, Rachel Notley. uh, We decided to reach out to all four to come on this program with an added emphasis towards vision. There's been a lot of mudslinging. There's been a lot of diving into pasts of everybody, it seems like. And I think that there is there is some uh, validity to doing so because you want to paint uh, a picture as to what some of the things have been said, some of the things that have been done. But at the end of the day, what I my mission at Civilize is to also make sure that the points don't get missed out on what the vision for this province is going to be because i would argue this is the most uh this is the most important provincial election that we've seen in decades and the reason being is we went from being a have province to i don't think we're a have province anymore or we're not necessarily as powerful as we once were so how do we get back there and at the same time, managing to wade through the waters of everything else that's going on in our world. It's one thing, and I've said it before, is it's one thing to talk economy, but it's another to be able to talk about all the other things. Education, healthcare, infrastructure, taxes, human rights, basic human decency. Some of the topics that we're going to get to. So today we're going to start off our leaders discussions with Alberta Party leader Stephen Mandel. He will join us in just a couple of minutes to uh, give us some thoughts on how we wade through the waters over not just the next week, but also the four years or five years afterwards. We'll also talk about a group that's been uh, struck up over the last few days here. Brand new task force against racism, violence and hatred. Driven by incidents like the New Zealand terror attack right here in Calgary, the uh, one of the people with the Muslim Council of Calgary, Janaid Mahoon, will join us after 4 o'clock to uh, talk about what this task force is all about, spreading the words of positivity as well, but also making sure that uh, they don't talk within their own echo chambers and that they're inviting people from all different faiths and all different backgrounds to bring home that message that we're not going to tolerate any kind of violence, regardless of backgrounds. So really great conversation. I'm looking forward to with Janae after four o'clock. It's been a topic of conversation as well over the last, well, arguably the last three or four years, to be honest, cybersecurity and elections. What are we getting ourselves into coming up with the federal election? But also, have we seen much in the way of interference from government governments outside our borders here in Alberta? We've had Marcus Kolga on before from the McDonnell-Laurier Institute. We're going to chat with him after 5 o'clock and get a little bit of an update because I saw a story on globalnews.ca about how there is expected to be a ramp up of misinformation heading into the next federal election. So we'll chat with Marcus about what he's seeing on the front lines 
And we're going to have a little bit of fun with this whole election again coming up near the end of the show. The Mount Royal University Students Association looking to not just incentivize people to vote, but also to get people talking about some of the issues. SAVP external Amanda LeBlanc will join us after 5.30 to talk about getting the young vote out. Getting people to talk about, regardless of political stripe, the issues heading into this election. Speaking of those issues heading into this election, Alberta Party leader Stephen Mandel joins us next here on Calgary Today. As I watched the leaders debate back last week, one of the things that really struck me that I was really hoping to hear a little bit more about was how do we... I'll call it repair. I don't know if it's really that broken. I think that the two extreme arms of our political spectrum would like to think that we're a little more broken than we really are. I think the vast majority of Albertans would argue that, hey, the economy is very important, but is so is basic human decency. So are human rights. And yet somehow it's become this argument over whether we can do either the economy or social issues. It's not an and proposition for some for some reason. It's an or. And I don't necessarily agree. And so over the next few days, what I want to do is bring in all the party leaders to talk about their vision. One, two is how do you tackle both of those issues I'm going to hold especially the two main parties to task over uh, their respective stances on both. But a couple of other parties who have been uh, trying to who have were trying to back on Thursday, get their points across the Alberta Liberals and the Alberta Party. Joining us now, Alberta Party leader Stephen Mandel. Uh, Thanks so much for the time today, sir. It's a pleasure to be here, Joe, and hope all's well with you. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. And I think a lot of people are sitting here going, okay, I got to just wrap my head around this election campaign. And with a week to go now, what would you say is your number one message to voters? Vote with your heart, uh, not with your hatred. And why that? Well, because I think so many Albertans are worried about, you know, dealing with splitting the vote or the frustration with one of the other two parties or the other. Um, they don't like either one of them, and uh, they want to vote positively. They can vote for the Alberta Party. We offer, a, a, I guess, a party that says we can create jobs and opportunity, but we also can have a kind society, a place that can build Alberta. And I think we're the only party that's put forward a, a platform that finds that balance. How much of a challenge has it been to try to bring uh, issues to the forefront and to bring about that that idea of kind of going down the middle in a world that seems to be very much left versus right? Well, it has been you know it has been a big a bit of a challenge before the campaign. Once the campaign started, I think that uh, the media is treated us very fairly, and um, we appreciate that very much. And uh, trying to get across our vision or our we want to do for the province of Alberta and, you know, the, the way in which we were successful in doing things in the past. So, you know, um, we did the best we can. We have great candidates. We have two teams. We have uh, the, the leadership team, which is out going across the province, hoping to raise some more interest. But then we have incredible candidates who are knocking on doors and, and selling the message and telling people who we are and what we're about. And we're getting great response from that. We're really pleased at the, at the level to which people are moving over to our party and, uh, 
our candidates are very positive. You mentioned that vision, and I want to start economically because that seems to be first and foremost on everyone's minds, especially from from a listener standpoint here on on this show and this radio station. And I'm wondering, give me a, a little bit of a, a broad perspective on what exactly the Alberta Party is proposing and trying to uh, navigate the waters of the economic conditions that we've been put under over the last few years. Well, I, I think that what we've tried to is, is deliver a broad base. Uh, vision for the economy and to the extent of looking at creating and it doesn't seem like it's significant creating daycare spaces for people so that people can go get a job um, and i think there's an opportunity to go back and get education uh, to um, supporting the uh, second and third phase of the uh, um, upgrader in redwater to creating a, uh, a forestry industry again to using uh, wood as, as a way to reduce our our environmental footprint and to build things more economically. So what we tried to do is build a broad-based vision of, of a, um, an economy that can look in different directions uh, and, and can be one that um, um, can be um, something for everybody. You know, we all know how important the energy industry is to Alberta. We all know um, the importance of pipelines, but a pipeline to British Columbia is not the answer, the long-term answer. So we've suggested something that's been innovative, a train from Fort McMurray up to Alaska, which would open up the entire North Country, create tens of thousands of jobs and create a uh, whole new economy for Alberta. So we think we've tried to propose as something that is for everybody, um, retraining, post-secondary, all those things that would make Alberta um, the kind of place which attract and retain people. Do you think that we've done enough in terms of diversifying the economy? I know that that was a big uh, starting point in 2015 was how do we get off the boom and bust cycle of oil and gas while also respecting where it's taken us, but also moving above and beyond it for later on down the road. Have we done enough to get to that point yet? No, I think what we've done now, I think we're more reliant on energy on oil than ever before. When you look at the, the current government's budgets, they're, you know, they're looking to balance it on $10 billion of, uh, of royalty, rev- royalty revenue, um, which is unrealistic given we're about 3.3, 3.4 now. So I think we've done very little but pay lip service to it. And the fact of the matter is that investment is only coming here now because they're being enticed with substantial uh, inducements to, uh, to come here. We need to get people to think Alberta is a great place to invest. You'll invest here because you can make money, you can have stability, you can create opportunity. That's what business wants. They want stability, opportunity, they want integrity. And I think we offer that to to business, we offer that to the voters as well. How do you get that message across, given and even talking to chambers of commerce, particularly here in Calgary, when it comes to office vacancy rates, which has been a big uh, focal point of of the uh, electorate here, is how do you get all three levels of government singing from the same songbook? Well, I think that it's a challenge uh, for the, the federal government sometimes to think sing from that songbook. But you know, the provincial and the municipal need to work together to find ways to you know make sure that cities like Calgary become sustainable. I mean, you get the highest unemployment in in the in the country right now for major cities, and that's unacceptable. A city that's got the kind of uh, really um, um, uh, uh, ability to raise. Um, awareness of business like Calgary, I think that it's um, a tremendous opportunity for growth. And we just need to look at things in a different way, especially, you know, how we can diversify the economy, I can use more technology, how we use a skill set that exists in that, in that city so widely, we can do far more. For those who are not aware, what is your tax policy going into this election? 
Well, we've we've done a couple of things. We've lowered the corporate tax from twelve to ten percent, but we've raised the small business tax from from five hundred thousand to a million dollars at two percent, and we've we've put in a, in a rapid plan for depreciation with people buying capital assets so they can uh, they can write off it in, in one year, allow them to uh, recapture their investment much quicker. So we think that's a great advantage. That should create a lot of jobs. Create a lot of interest. We've also um, when with with the um, uh, carbon tax, we put in place a, a program to help small and medium-sized businesses to retool some of their businesses with uh, grants coming from from the funds that are generated through that. So we think there's lots of avenues under which we can uh, we can be supportive. Today we announced agricultural policy, which will will create a program of uh, for research and uh, and technology in the agricultural value-added industry. So we're trying to create this diversified economy, um, but really not just pay lip service, but focus on it. And uh, we think that heretofore, the forestry industry has forgotten. The agriculture industry has been forgotten. And those are potentially great employers. And we've also put in place things that will help um, create a much stronger and larger petrochemical industry as well. So we've tried to create as many different options as possible. So at the end of the day, Albertans can get work. I know some people, uh, Andrew Leach is one economist who's uh, criticized that that tax plan in particular. And, and one texter uh, asked why you feel that your plan is reasonable or it is prudent. Well, we need to get we need to get investment. Uh, you know, our problem with our economy right now is we're not getting investment. And so we need to encourage business people to buy new buy new equipment to retool up um, because so they need confidence in the economy. And this way it gives them that confidence. So. Um, I would argue that our our plan is the most reasonable one because it it looks at various aspects of business and tries to reach out to and be inclusive of different parts of the business community, not just one part or two parts, but a whole gamut of things which will end up creating more opportunities and more investment in Alberta. And that's what we need right now. We need people to come here or those who are here to to look at how they retool their companies. When we came right before break there, you were talking about uh, some of the the... Uh, fiscal responsibility issues that are going to come up. But I'm wondering from the standpoint of the divide that we have in this province, how do you how do you think that your party could help fix that? How do you think that we could uh, get everybody to maybe come up with compromise in this ever divisive world? Well, I don't I don't know how you do it between the UCP and the NDP. They have such acrimony. I don't know if that's feasible. If you were in the legislature, you could, uh, you know, you could have seen that uh, that acrimony was quite quite vicious. And even the other day, and during the debates, it was it was something that most Albertans were a bit disgusted with. And so, I mean, the question becomes, who then is fittest to lead the province? We believe our party is, and our team is. So, um, we think that um, by reaching across the floor, we've said we'd have free votes. We said that we would reach across the floor and listen to the opposition if we were in power. Um, we would look to try to build consensus, try to build a relationship that uh, is not just one side. It isn't just about one vision. It's about listening to the listen A to Albertans and B to those who are uh, opposite parties. See what they, you know, one can say that opposition doesn't have any good ideas. I do disagree with that. Sometimes they do. We should listen. One of the things that I've uh, I've heard as well in this conversation is, and, and I threw this out there as a possibility down the line, is what happens if there is a minority government? 
and you end up having a couple of MLAs or a few MLAs that happen to be holding the balance of power, what would you expect your members to do? And one of the questions that popped up as well over Twitter was, will you be propping up a UCP government or would you be propping up an NDP government? So the question becomes, uh, how do you foresee your party's role in the scheme of things if it is a minority government situation? Well, I think people vote for Alberta Party because they believe in our vision for Alberta. So we'd be true to that. We'd make sure any government uh, who was formed would have to, you know, express the values that we've we've talked about for for education, for healthcare, for um, um, social services, and at the same time, developing an economy that's broad based, isn't just focused on one industry. And if a government doesn't do that, we can't support them. If a government does do that, we we look at ways to see what we can do to be a team player. We wouldn't join any government. We don't think that's an option. Um, we believe that, uh, you know, governments uh, need to be able to uh, oversee what's going on, but they also need to listen to citizens. And we would make sure that uh, our voice is heard and that the government in power, whoever it happened to be, would, would have to listen to us and the ideas and values that we've put forward. You know, it's you know, one of the things that we we value so much is the, you know, is tolerance we have in our party. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, we've seen this in the other two parties, the, uh, you know, the intolerance the NDP has for UCP and also the NDP, a lot of things that are happening with the bullying and, and some of the challenges they've had within the Premier's office. In the UCP, we've heard that constantly things are coming up with their intolerance. People need to look beyond the government to give them the best government, not just because they hate the other one so much. Mr. Mandel, I do appreciate the time this afternoon and all the best in the next week. I really appreciate, talk, appreciate talking to you and I wish all the best too. Thank you for the call. Recent attacks against racial and religious groups have sparked a group of Calgarians to create a new anti-hate task force. Joining us now from the Muslim Council of Calgary is Janaid Mahoon. Janaid, thanks so much for the time today. You're very welcome, Joe. What is it that prompted this initial gathering and the creation of this group? Uh, Joe, it was a it, it was a lot of things going on. You know, since uh, you know, I would call it uh, the Quebec massacre. We've been trying to, you know, realize that, you know, we need to do more work. We need to be open and, 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 and engage people, you know, telling them who we are, you know, just so that, you know, it creates a, you know, a, a comfortable environment knowing each other. The more we know, the more basically, uh, you know, we are able to come together as a, as, as a community, as Calgarians, basically. So, so when this, uh, you know, latest unfortunate event happened in New Zealand, Christchurch, it kind of galvanized everybody that, you know what, we've been trying to individually do, you know, initiatives and wide welcome to the mosques and the programs and everything. We need to come together and we need to put a united front. That was the driver, really. How much of this is about making sure that everybody from different cultural backgrounds are behind the movement? Because, as you mentioned, you don't want to go into this thinking that you can solve all the world's problems within your own silos. Uh, absolutely. We have, you know what? Uh, we, when we thought, we said, you know, let's bring our own house, you know, together, you know, involve all the Muslim you know, organization, but at the same time, in the same breath, our premise was, hey, this is this is the start. We are going to continue to extend. So if, if, if uh, you know, when we launched the, 
initiative, uh, you know, we had actually represented from the, the Sikh community, from our First Nations, uh, basically, as well as, you know, soon we'll be working with all other, you know, uh, more interfaith, uh, you know, related, uh, you know, organizations as well. The, the, the point is that we all, you know, we all are affected, you know, at the end of the day. And we have to come together at whatever level, you know, with our, you know, own objectives, but at the same time, uh, where we have common ground, and which is all of us, you know, uh, you know, believe that, you know, there is no room for hate, there's no, you know, room for any racism and other stuff, you know, that we will come together and, and, and work uh, for that, towards that. How challenging is it from your standpoint when you hear about these different groups that they're, they're small individuals or small groups within different faiths that are targeting each other? How, def- how difficult is it to uh, try to, I guess, push back against the small minority who are doing the, the bad things in the world? You know what? Uh, it's about solidarity. And it's about, uh, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, doing something about it. That's why this initiative, you know, helps us because... When when we floated this idea, I'll tell you that uh, people, you know, just uh, said, "Okay, what what can we do? How can we come together?" Because they this they understood that you know what this is something that we all need to counter and work. Uh, you work towards, and and you know what, there will always be you know negative narratives and voices around. The 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 positivity around is just that you know we are doing something about it, and we are there to basically you know, put it out there that we will not tolerate, you know, this sort of narrative. We will not tolerate people bringing in, you know, uh, you know, racism or Islamophobe or anti-Semitism and this stuff. In fact, we will counter and check them, uh, you know, and uh, we are going through an election right now. And, uh, you know, without singling anybody, we say that, hey, uh, you know, our, our future leaders and political parties, Go do your homework before you nominate your candidates, just so that you know who you are basically putting out there. So that's what we why we believe that you know it would work. You know, uh, you know, uh, well, it's not easy to bring everybody on the same page, but it is something that you know everybody wants to and is willing to put their energy towards. So we want to you know harness that. Uh, in this positive initiative. One of the things that I take away from what I've read, at least in the initial stages here, is, is it's okay to disagree on certain things. It's a complete other to act upon uh, your hatred and to incite violence and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You know, we are not about, we are, you know, we promote and are for democracy. Difference of opinion, diversity strengthens us, basically. But at the same time, I think we are educated enough and we have seen enough, you know, uh, you know, that we can differentiate between is, is it a difference of opinion or is it something else going on there? And and to be honest, we Canadians, you know, we we enjoy uh, and, and thrive on our diversity and inclusiveness. But around the world, we are an island in a big world. And, and, and you know what, with social media and everything, we, we are not immune to proliferation of, you know, that material uh, that causes grief. And sometimes people out of ignorance, you know, unfortunately, they don't know better, you know, so they, they, uh, they inadvertently become part of that. Our job is as, as a community, as a, as a one group or many groups, basically, you know, trying to uh, help on this front to ensure that we dissipate the ignorance with light with you know with with the with education 
and, and dialogue so that you know people don't fall for that type. Talk a little bit about the the standpoint of you. You can only do so much, I suppose, from from your place of worship. It's another to take your message home and make sure that you're teaching your kids and your family members uh, the right path towards uh, tolerance and acceptance of others. It starts from home, uh, Joe. And, and and you know, my kids were born over here. I use their example. They have all you know. You know, uh, I call it. Uh, uh, different, you know, community, uh, you know, friends from different community, different religion. Uh, they, you know, they play, they have play dates, and they have tolerance. We build it from home, and then we we build it in our communities as well. Yes, you are right. You know, this can become a huge, you know, thing. But uh, you know, from a from a from a burden point of view, that uh, you know, no, we can't do everything. We can, as you said, we we're not here to solve the world peace problem. But what we can do is we can continue to put the positive, you know, uh, you know, narrative education engagement out there, uh, you know, in-house and outside so that, you know, I think we all believe in, you know, you know, uh, you know, the, the harmony, the community coming together. So they should be, you know, I hope uh, no uh, extra effort required to keep the positivity going. Mm-hmm. Now that you have this task force in place, I'm curious what's next in your to-do list for the fu- for the task force. We want to bring people on common platform. We've already had engagement from many, uh, and we want to expand that engagement as well. We want to also, as I said, education is one you know thing that we want to work on. So you know we have a we have preliminary team picked up so that they we can do a survey to understand you know get questions from the community, what they want to know about, and then then go out across Canada and get those questions answered to see, you know, how we see things. What are the areas that we need to, you know, focus on of, you know, uh, of our limited energy that we have, basically, that can give us, the you know, the most positive results possible. And from awareness, then, you know, we are willing to listen to different, you know, uh, you know, partners or, you know, uh, who will be either directly working with us or those who want to just participate maybe in select initiatives. Uh, you know, ideas are welcome because we want to hear out. And then from there on, we'll we'll chart a way down, you know, for where, uh, you know, the, the results basically. Junaid, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Joe. Thank you very much uh, because... I truly believe you and others like you, you know, are the voice, uh, you know, who spread the light around basically on this. And uh, the more you talk about the, you know, the love, peace, harmony that we enjoy over here in, you know, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, the more it will become a positive message across that, you know, there is no room for for hate and other stuff. Mm-hmm. Thanks again, Janaid, for that. Many eyes are on the election here in Alberta, but a lot more eyes will be on the federal election here in Canada. Joining us now, Marcus Kolga, who is a senior fellow at the McDonnell-Laurier Institute to talk a little bit about meddling in the election. Marcus, thanks for the time today. Thanks for having me on. When you hear uh, a subject line like Canada likely to face foreign meddling in election, but unlikely on the scale of 2016 Russian interference, according to a new report, what do you think of? Uh, Well, I think 
thank goodness that someone is taking this issue seriously in Canada. I mean, I've been warning about it for the past uh, three or four years, and especially after the 2016 uh, U.S. elections. Um, and so the fact that we're acknowledging the threat is great. Um, it's clearly no longer a question of if, it's just a question of how bad is it going to be. Um, and it's going to happen. We already saw it happen in the 2015 uh, parliamentary or federal elections, um, and it's, it's going to happen again now. And it's happening on an ongoing basis. We've been seeing uh, um, uh, uh, efforts to amplify extreme left and right uh, narratives on various issues uh, for the past uh, year or two, which is all intended to divide us as a society. And an, uh, an election uh, period or writ period is a perfect time to do that and uh, intensify it. So Canadians better be aware, and the Canadian government has to start taking uh, far more serious measures to counter it. Are you surprised at all? I, I know that Facebook had a, a bit of a conference call on Friday and talked and was asked about the Alberta election. And to their knowledge, anyways, it didn't seem as though there was a lot of uh, election um, interference going on so far in this campaign. Does that surprise you at all? Or do you think that they've got bigger fish to fry in terms of just federal elections? Well, I think uh, when we're looking at Alberta, we definitely uh, saw a lot of disinformation. And some of it, unfortunately, came from the U.S. But uh, a lot of the, uh, the Russian and Iranian disinformation from deleted Twitter accounts was focused on Alberta. And it was uh, intended, uh, you know, it was focused on, on the left, and it was intended to stoke fears about uh, pipelines. Um, so, you know, the fact that we're not seeing too much of this anymore isn't much of a surprise because it seems like everyone, at least in the Alberta election, is on the same page about pipelines and the need to get that oil to market. Um, and so if that was the, the primary focus, then uh, you know, there's not much for, for them to, uh, for these foreign governments to, uh, to push at this point. Mm, it's kind of a zero-sum game, and the ROI is not necessarily there on a provincial scale because, like you said, it seems as though everybody's on that same page. And so uh, what kinds of things should people be on the lookout for as we get closer and closer to that federal election campaign? Well, I think it's again on both the left and the right. We need to, you know, keep an eye on on stories that don't sound quite right. Um, certainly, uh, you know, when it comes to center of right, uh, these messages and narratives promoting anti-immigration positions. Um, anyone that tries to say, say that there's an army of of refugees that the uh, you know any party wants to let into our country to take it over. I think that seems that needs to be uh, viewed with quite a bit of skepticism. Um, and similarly, those pipeline stories, I don't think they're going away necessarily when it comes to the federal election. Um, we need to keep an eye on those. And, and one of the things that we've been noticing more recently is, for example, uh, this, this campaign to promote anti-vaccination uh, narratives. Um, the WHO just a couple of weeks ago came out and said, that uh, the rise in measles is the one of the largest international health problems uh, or crises that, that we're facing right now, and they cited uh, disinformation, a lot of it promoted by Russian trolls and uh, bots on social media, um, quest make, uh, promoting uh, uh, the questioning of of the vaccination of uh, vaccinations. So you know, issues like that need to be looked at. And Canadians themselves need to uh, have greater awareness uh, and, and view uh, social media 
uh, news or news that share on social media with a bit more of a critical eye. Um, I think that's that's the core solution, um, or at least one of the steps that we can take uh, to protect ourselves from this uh, this growing menace. Do you get the sense that the platforms are taking this menace seriously? Uh, you know, I, I think they like to try and project some sort of a, you know, the, the fact that they, they, they're tr- they may be trying to. Um, I'm not sure that they're actually taking it seriously. I was uh, just giving an interview about half an hour ago where we were talking about the same issue. And, um, you know, companies like Google continue to... Um, generate revenue from ads that they posted on conspiracy theory websites. A lot of these websites promote or are the sources of a lot of the fake news and disinformation that we're seeing. And if you go to these sites, Google has ads placed on them. Um, you know, I, I think the Canadian government and certainly the, the Canadian media and, and the, the people of this country should uh, start asking Google why they're doing that. Um, you know, I, I don't think... Uh, you know, advertising on conspiracy theory websites and uh, and those that peddle false news. Um, I don't think that's part of their business model. Um, yet they're somehow, you know, quite frankly, helping finance and enable this sort of stuff. So, um, big big social media companies, Facebook, Twitter included, need to start taking this a bit more seriously. And we need to focus on how we um, sort of walk that fine line of making sure that those platforms aren't distributing this sort of news, uh, while at the same time maintaining uh, freedom of expression and speech. And I wonder, Marcus, from the standpoint of you, you mentioned right before we went to break about how you uh, need to find that happy medium between freedom of free speech and the, the idea of passing along false information, fake information, that kind of thing. I'm curious from that standpoint, is with, especially with the social media platforms, it's pretty cheap to get a Facebook ad. It's pretty cheap to get a Twitter ad and to amplify your reach that way. And I wonder that that's what where these platforms are getting their cash from at the end of the day. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, I've tested this uh, the system on Facebook uh, on a number of occasions uh, with, with ads and such. And really, with a, just a, a few dollars, I mean, I'm talking about $25, $30, you can reach tens of thousands of people through Facebook. And, uh, and the, the, the propagandists who are working inside the Kremlin for Vladimir Putin, the ones that are working in Beijing and Tehran, um, they, are, they all figured this out some time ago already. Um, and the Kremlin was wise to do that. Um, you know, if their primary focus, and it is, is, is destabilizing Western democracies, eroding our trust in, in NATO uh, and each other, I mean, it's a heck of a lot cheaper to uh, spend a few dollars, a few thousand dollars on Facebook than it is to send a, you know tanks over a border, um, and so it makes a heck of a lot of sense that they're they're using this because it is effective. You know, mm. we saw what happened in the U.S. Uh, we've seen the attempts in Germany, France, Netherlands, Balt- in the Baltics, and Sweden. Um, they've they've used these same tactics everywhere, and it's had a, a pretty disastrous effect uh, on society and on democracy there. So. Um, we need to keep an eye on that because they're using the same sort of uh, tactics here and it's only going to get worse.
And that's the interesting part. The final question for you is that the fact that uh, it's not necessarily that they're for one candidate or another, these troll farms and that. It's just the fact that they can stoke the fire and make it appear as though our democracy here in North America isn't as stable as the uh, controlled democracy or whatever the term is that Vladimir Putin and the Russians or other, uh, other segments of the world would like to people to believe. Well, that's right. I mean, what they're trying to do here in North America and in the West is so chaos. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, Vladimir Putin needs our country, Canada, with U.S., the, the Western world. He needs to be able to point to our democracies as being undesirable to his own people. So that <laughs> because he I mean, if 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 there was a true democracy in Russia, uh, Vladimir Putin would no longer be the president, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and so he needs to point point out that we're you know this is imperfect and this is something that the Russian people don't want. Otherwise, um, he's going to be shown the door, and that's uh, that's going to lead straight to jail or, or worse for him. So he really needs to stoke that sort of chaos. And uh, on an international scale, you know, with NATO's alliance. He needs that to be broken apart because he cannot compete with us when we're working together. So chaos is the name of the game for Vladimir Putin, um, and that's only going to continue. Marcus, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. As always, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for covering the topic. I appreciate it. You're listening to Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Love this text that just came in. Actually, I'm happy to report there was a number of 20 to 30-somethings at the Drumheller-Stetler Forum in Stetler. We also had a busload of young kids, grade sixes, studying democracy, come out and asked a lot of questions. In fact, one of the most powerful questions was from one of those kids. Love hearing those stories because I, I, there's a, there, I have this worry about not only the divisiveness surrounding political parties, but also you know, we've had we've seen issues surrounding the urban-rural vote split. We also, I think, have an ageism split that is starting to develop, uh, not just in Alberta, but I think as a whole, and especially when it comes to the political climate that we're in, is we tend to try to downplay the the reactions, the responses from those who are not a part of our voting circle so young people look at old uh, at the older generations and say ah the world's passed you by your vote shouldn't matter and on the flip side older voters and i've seen it on both sides and especially on social media is the some older voters are sitting there going ah we should raise the voting age because kids they don't know anything i think it's really really important especially in in Today's day and age where we we talked about whether it's the issues surrounding um, meddling in elections or we're talking about the the ever-splicing world of politics is that you sit down and talk to people who are from outside of your own political beliefs and values. The only reason I say that is you won't, you will never, ever get full context to what those beliefs and values are unless you sit them down and talk about it. You should never downplay what your fellow Albertan is saying, whether it's fiscally or socially, any of it. I know I'm I'm feeling a little hippie-ish right now, peace and love and everything else, 
But beyond that is I think that there has been this inflamed sense of belonging based off of who you may vote for. And I do firmly believe, as Amanda pointed out, is that we all want this province to be better, whether it's fiscally, socially, you name it. And everybody's got their own idea on how we get there. Why not listen to each other? Maybe we can come up with a little bit of compromise. Maybe we can go, okay, we'll give you that, but you, can you give us this? Can we, can we talk these things through? Because, again, you're going to learn something. Beyond that, especially those who want to uh, go after the ageism aspect of it is, where do you think they got those beliefs from? It's no different than the, the argument about millennials, they're so lazy. Where did they get that from? Even from the standpoint of you saying, oh, those, that older generation, they don't know anything about anything. Well, help them be informed. Understand where they got those values from. We'll be a better place for it. and we'll have, we'll have a much better discussion surrounding this election, especially in the last week before we go to the polls. Which, by the way, tomorrow, yes, the advanced polls do open up. So do your research, both in how you vote and also how you actually physically vote. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary Today.